Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome to News from the Torah. This is Leah Aroni. Today is the sixth day of the Hebrew month of Av, August 3rd, 2022. And this week we're reading the Torah portion of Dvarim. We're starting the book of Dvarim, Deuteronomy, and we will be reading this book for the next two months until um, Simchat Torah until the end of our holidays, at which point we will finish the entire book of the Torah and we will start it right over again. But I would like to concentrate on a different aspect of this week's Torah portion. This week, we are also marking what is called Shabbat Chazon. Each year, the Shabbat before Tisha B'Av is called Shabbat Chazon. But sometimes Shabbat actually falls on Shabbat, and then that Shabbat is called Shabbat Chazon. So what is Tisha B'Av? Tisha B'Av is the national mourning day of the Jewish people. It is the day on which in the desert it was decreed that the Jews would not go into the land of Israel in that generation following the sin of the spies. And instead, the Jews would spend the next 40 years wandering in the desert, with only the next generation going in. But more potently, Tisha B'Av is the day of the destruction of both of the Jerusalem temples. The first temple in the year 586 before Common Era by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, and the second temple in the year 70 of Common Era by the Romans. Tisha B'Av is really the day of destruction. It is the day of destruction, the day on which our connection with God is tested. It is the day on which we mourn the galut, the exile, as the result of the destruction of the temple. The destruction of the temple symbolizes the fact that the Jews are driven out of their country into the galut, into the diaspora, where we cannot have our own sovereignty. We cannot have our own land. We cannot have our own service of God in the temple. But above all, we cannot have a visceral connection with God that was experienced in the temple. All of these were lost in both of the exiles, in both of the destructions of the temple. And so on Tisha B'Av, we mark this destruction. It is the day of mourning preceded by three weeks of mourning called Benamitzerin, between the tight places. So, as we said, the Shabbat before Tisha B'Av, or sometimes when Tisha B'Av actually falls out on Shabbat, is called Shabbat Chazon. The reason is because on that Shabbat, we read the prophecy of Isaiah. It is the only prophecy in the Torah that is called Chazon. Chazon is literally vision. It is something that you see with your eyes. And so the book of Isaiah, Yeshayel, starts with this prophecy. The vision of Isaiah, son of Amoz, who prophesied concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the reigns of Uziah, Yotam, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judea. 
Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, and they have rebelled against me. An oxen knows its owner, and ass its master's crib. Israel does not know. My people have taken no thought. O sinful nation, people laden with iniquity, brood of evildoers, depraved children, they have forsaken the Lord, spurned the Holy One of Israel, turned their backs on him. Why do you seek further beatings that you continue to offend? Every head is ailing, every heart is sick. From head to foot, no spot is sound, all bruises and welts and festering sores. So on today's show, I would like to talk about the special quality of this Shabbat Chazon that some of the Hasidic masters say is the greatest Shabbat of the year, especially when Tisha B'Av falls out on Shabbat as is happening this year. What is so special about Shabbat Chazon? Why do we call it this way? And how can we leverage it? to bring ourselves closer to God, and also to bring the redemption of the Jewish people and the world closer. So the sages tell a very interesting story about the time of the destruction. They say that when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came to destroy Jerusalem in the first time, the Greek philosopher Plato came with him. After the destruction of the temple, Plato saw Yermiao, Jeremiah, the prophet, sitting down and crying over the destruction of the temple. So Plato came over to Yermiao, to Jeremiah, and said, Why is it that such a smart and wise person like you, Jeremiah, is crying over stones and wood? It's just a building. The temple was just a building. It's destroyed. So what is that to cry about? And also... What are you crying about the past? It's done already. Crying over the temple is like crying over spilled milk. We don't really know if Plato was there. We don't really know if Plato came with Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians. But the question that is asked is a philosophical question of detachment. Our sages put in Plato's mouth a question of what is there to cry over a building. What is there to cry over something that happened already and cannot be returned? These are really two separate questions and they're actually a very valid question. So we are going to try to answer exactly these questions. What was so special about the temple that after 2,000 years the Jewish people are still mourning their destruction? And what point is there in crying over something that was lost in the past. It's done. There's nothing to do about it. Or is there? So these are the two questions we're going to try to answer today. And hopefully by answering these questions, we'll be able to infuse new meaning into our Tisha B'Av and into this time of mourning that all the Jewish people are marking around the world. So what was Yerriao's answer to Plato's question? Yerriao turned to Plato and said, do you have any philosophical questions or doubts that you have not been able to solve? And Plato said, of course I do. I have certain philosophical doubts and certain philosophical questions that I have asked many people and nobody has been able to solve them for me. 
Sigur mi dau, said okay. What are the questions? What are the doubts that you have? And Plato explained the questions and the doubts, the philosophical issues that he was struggling with. Yermiao said, that's it? <laughs> I can answer that simply. And one by one, Yermiao answered every question, every doubt, every philosophical issue that Plato was struggling with. Plato was stunned. He couldn't believe the wisdom. He asked, where is this wisdom coming from? How do you have the understanding, the wisdom, the discernment to answer these questions so easily after I've turned the world around? I've asked so many other wise people and nobody had the answer. And Yermiao said, I have the answers from the sticks and stones that were just destroyed. I got the answer by spending time in the temple that I'm now crying over. I'm not crying over sticks. I'm not crying over stones. I'm crying over the destruction of something that is lost and I will not be able to get back. And the question of why am I crying over something that is gone? Why am I crying over spilled milk? I can't answer that question because you're not going to understand the answer. So while Plato may not have understood the answer, we are going to try to answer this on our show. To understand the first answer that Yermiel gave, the holy temple created an environment in which people could connect viscerally, experientially to godliness. We don't even know what that means. Just like you cannot explain to a colorblind person the difference between red and pink, you can't explain to somebody who doesn't see what it means to see. You cannot explain to somebody who cannot hear what it means to hear. It's just a different sense, but something that you experience viscerally. In the temple, people could experience God viscerally. They literally could almost see the presence of God. And this is why this Shabbat is called Chazon, because on this Shabbat, every person, every Jew who works, who struggles, who mourns, who yearns for the temple is shown his or her vision of the temple. The person who yearns to see redemption is shown by God the vision of the temple. The reason that Jeremiah could answer Plato's questions so easily was because for him these were not philosophical questions. These were not things he had to think through and apply his mind to to understand. It was as if he was shown the answers. Sometimes when you try to understand a concept or a description and it is just told over to you or you read about it or just explained to you, it is very hard to understand. But somebody shows you one picture and everything becomes clear. For Yermiel, all everything having to do with everything, the entire structure of the world, all the questions, all the philosophies, everything was shown clearly in the temple. He felt that experience of God. He was connected to God's wisdom. And God built the world based on his wisdom. And in the temple, Yermiel, and other Jews could connect viscerally to the experience of God and to God's wisdom. And so from that experience, they felt a closeness, a connection. 
but that closeness and connection came with it, their own challenges. And those challenges led the Jews to sin and ultimately to be considered by God not worthy of that presence. Because God hates miracles and God cannot take away people's free will. Even the people who had a visceral experience of God in the temple had free will and they could also sin and their sins created the separation between them and God that ultimately led to the destruction of the temple. So this is the explanation of the first question, what was so special about the temple that after 2,000 years we're still crying for its loss? But the second question is why are we crying about the past? That's a very, very serious question because really there is no point in crying over the past. We see in the story of David, for example, King David and Bathsheba. When King David had a relationship with Bathsheba, a child was brought out of that relationship. God did not find that relationship favorable and David was told that he sinned with Bathsheba. So the child that was born out of that relationship was born sick. And as long as the child lived and was sick, David prayed for the child and fasted and did everything in his power to ensure that the child is alive. But as soon as the child passed on, David stopped the fasting and the crying and the prayers. And people around him asked, how is that? When the child was alive, you were fasting and praying and crying. And now that the child has passed on, you've stopped fasting and crying and praying and you're going on with your life. So King David said, as long as there was what to do, as long as I could change the destiny of this child by my fasting and prayers and crying, I did that. But now the child is dead. There's no point in crying over something that is gone. And we have the same principle in the Torah, in Halacha. There is a law, which is almost a reflection of a law of nature. And it is said that a person who passes on is forgotten after a year. I think, obviously, for the relatives, the person is not forgotten. But the memory and the loss and the pain of mourning usually become lessened after a year. And I know that certain people continue with their mourning for years to come. But we have a principle that families that mourn too much or for too long bring troubles and sorrows upon themselves. There is a beautiful story about Shlomo Zalman Orbach, who was a preeminent halachic authority in Jerusalem. He passed away about 30 years ago. He had a very close, intimate, loving relationship with his wife, and she passed away before he did. So about a year after her passing, he was sitting with his daughters, and his daughters shared that they got an invitation to a cousin's wedding. But they weren't planning to go because the year of their mother's mourning has just ended. During the year of mourning for a relative, for a parent, people don't go to events, people don't listen to music. These are some of the customs of mourning. So the year for the mourning of their mother just just ended, and right after the ending of the year of mourning, they got an invitation to a wedding of a cousin. So they said they're not planning to go. Rabbi Orbach said, why not? Because our mother's mourning just ended. We can't go to a wedding. He said, no, you have to go to a wedding. The year of mourning ended, period. 
the day that the year of mourning ended, with it ended all the customs of mourning, and now life has to go on. The day before the end of the year of mourning, you couldn't go to a wedding, but the day after, you must. And this is when he told them that the families that continued mourning for too long, or who mourned too much, invited more sorrow, more mourning, and more troubles into their lives. So with that in mind, and knowing that a dead person is forgotten or the pain is lessened after a year, the question is, why do we continue mourning for a temple after 2,000 years? And why does the psalm say, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its cunning? It seems to be that we've been mourning for too long, and we're mourning about the past. So this is something that Plato cannot understand, but this is something we as Jews need to understand. There are different kinds of mourning, and there are different kinds of crying. As Jews, we don't cry over the past. We cry over the present and the future. Our sages say that the generation in which the temple is not rebuilt, it is as if the gen in this generation the temple was destroyed. If the temple is not built during my lifetime, it is because me and the temple are not compatible. If our generation is not worthy of the rebuilding of the temple, that's only because our actions, our lifestyle, the way we live our life is not compatible with the existence of the temple. What that means is that the temple is a given. Every generation must have a temple. This world must have a temple because this world must have a visceral presence of God. It must have a place in which God is felt clearly and from which this understanding of visceral presence and experience of God spreads throughout the world. The temple is the source for which the presence of God radiates throughout the world. The temple had very interesting architecture in terms of its windows. Usually, windows are used to bring the light from the outside inside. But in the temple, it was actually not so. The temple did not need the light from the outside because it had the internal light, the presence of God. So the windows were built in a way to shine the light of the temple from the inside outside. The windows were narrow on the inside and wide on the outside, symbolizing that the light, the presence of God, the wisdom, the visceral experience of light and godliness were the most potent inside the temple. And from there, they radiated throughout the world. So every generation needs a temple. Every generation needs this visceral experience, this presence of God, this understanding that God is with us. This is the default, but sometimes there are generations whose actions prevent this experience, prevent the temple from being built. And for the past 2,000 years, every generation with its lifestyle and sins and iniquity has prevented the 
building of the temple in that generation. So when on Tisha B'Av we cry about the destruction of the temple, we're not crying about the destruction of the temple 2,000 years ago. We're crying about the destruction of the temple, but the not building of the temple in our generation today, because there is something in our lifestyle, there's something in our actions that prevents the temple from being built. So on this Shabbat, Shabbat Chazon, each person is shown the vision of the temple. If you yearn for the temple, if you want it to be rebuilt, if you want the world to be redeemed, if you work towards that, then God shows you the vision of what life could look like, of what the world could look like. You just have to be open to that experience. But there's something else that we're shown on this Shabbat, Shabbat Chazon. If you listen carefully to the words of the prophecy of Isaiah, of Yeshayahu, it sounds like a very harsh prophecy, a very harsh rebuke to the Jewish people. But even without that harsh rebuke, he keeps calling them his children. He keeps calling them his people. Just listen to the world's carefully again. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, and they have rebelled against me. And Knox knows its owner and as its master's crib. Israel does not know. My people takes no thought. O sinful nation, people laden with iniquity, brood of evil doers, depraved children. Part of the vision of this Shabbat is understanding that despite our sins, despite our lifestyle, despite the fact that the temple is not built as if destroyed in this generation, still, with all of that, we are God's children, period. There is no way to break this eternal bond between God and the Jewish people. Forever and ever and ever, the Jewish people will be the children of God, and there is unconditional love that will always be there. For the past 2,000 years, the church has tried to style itself as the new Israel. It is a tenant of Christianity that Christianity and the church are the substitution for the Jewish people. And since the Jewish people have sinned against God and been exiled, it is now the church and Christianity that have taken the place of Judaism. This is why Christianity talks about the Old Testament, the Old Testament that's no longer applicable, and the New Testament. The New Testament as if there is a new connection, a new bond, a new Brit between Christianity and God. And what we say, what the Judaism says, is that that is just not possible. God will never break the bond between himself and the Jewish people. And even in the midst of destruction, in the midst of hurban, in the midst of exile, in the midst of burning down the temple, as Isaiah um, 
rebukes the Jewish people and calls them all kinds of horrible names, even in that moment, he also calls them children. This is such a strong message which we need to take up in this generation, the message of unconditional love. If we want to experience unconditional love from God, we have to experience it, first of all, towards ourselves. Give ourselves unconditional love. Give it to our children, our friends, our family, our community. Yes, the people around us who are not perfect, starting with ourselves. We're very imperfect individuals. Our spouses, our parents, our children, our neighbors are all imperfect individuals. But we need to be practicing unconditional love. It is said that the temple was destroyed, the second temple was destroyed for the sin of sinat chinam, of baseless hatred. How can hatred be baseless? Why would you hate somebody if they have not done anything to you? Are you crazy? Why would you hate somebody if they did nothing to you? So it is explained that sinat chinam, uh, baseless hatred really happens when a person is so um, vulnerable, so unsure of himself, so depraved of love that they're threatened by people for no reason. A person with whom you might not have had an interaction, but that person threatens you in some way, or that person has something that you don't, or you see the achievements and you're jealous, or maybe you have had an interaction, but you've turned that into a a hateful interaction because you feel threatened for one reason or another. That's baseless hatred. And yes, sometimes we have our reasons, we give reasons to ourselves why we hate that person, why we don't like that person. But really deep, deep down we know that that person just threatens us or they have something that we don't or they look too self-assured and we feel worthless near them. That's really baseless hatred. That baseless hatred is an expression of our own emptiness, of our own feeling of inadequacy, of our own vulnerability and shame. The way to fix that is through unconditional love, first and foremost for ourselves. If we understand that we're children of God, despite whatever lifestyle we have, despite whatever actions we make, this condition between us and God is unconditional. The, nothing can break the bond. We're just like children. You cannot divorce your children. So just like you cannot divorce your children or your parents, there's no way for God and the Jewish people to be divorced. And even in the depth of our iniquity and sin, when God rebukes us through his prophets in the strongest of terms, he keeps calling us our children, his children. And this is the vision of who we are. If we can connect to this vision of being worthy of God's love, if we understand that God loves us unconditionally, not for our actions, but just because, then we can start loving ourselves. We can start loving ourselves unconditionally, just for our divine image. And if we give this unconditional love to ourselves, we can then also give it to other people. Because just like we recognize that we are the children of God, we can recognize the child of God, the light of God, 
in every single person around us. This doesn't mean that we should not be uh, judgmental or we should not be um, boundaried or we can give people a pass on bad behavior. If other people behave badly towards you, then you have to tell that to them. You have to establish your boundary and tell them, look, I don't accept this kind of behavior. This is not right. You cannot behave this way to me. But it's not in a hateful kind of way. It's actually quite opposite. It's because you honor who you are and you honor who the other person is. You honor the connection and you see how this connection between the two of you has to be balanced, healthy, and boundaried. And if that other person cannot honor the boundaries or cannot behave in a way that is appropriate, you don't have to be in a connection with them. But that doesn't mean you have to hate them. You can understand that this person probably has certain troubles, certain issues, just like you do. And these issues right now prevent the connection, but you can protect yourself and your boundaries without hating that other person. So this is the place of unconditional love. Unconditional love for yourself, for the people in your life, for everybody else. And also that place of unconditional love connects us to God. Because if we know that we are children of God through thick and thin, then we can also look up to God as our parent, as somebody who keeps us alive every single day, who sustains us every single day, who gives us everything we have and work on developing this close emotional, experiential, visceral connection to God. And the more we have that emotional, visceral connection in this life, the closer we come to having a temple because the temple is just really a culmination of this connection. It's a building that symbolizes this connection. Without us, the people, having that connection to God, there can be no temple. When the Jews are told in the desert to build a tabernacle, the one of the commentators said that every person first had to build a tabernacle in their heart, in their family, and then that was the basis for building one national tabernacle. The tabernacle was an expression of the connection between God and the people, of the fact that God was present in the life of every person and every family. And once God was present in the experience of every person and every family, then the direct outcome of that was that there was a structure, an architectural building that was a culmination and an expression of that connection. The same is true of the temple. The reason we don't have a physical temple, a structure, a building, is because we don't have this connection to God in our hearts, in our lives, in our relationships. But if we experience unconditional love for ourselves and the people around us, and if we look at the relationship between ourselves and God as the relationship of parent and child that can never be broken and in a natural way is a positive loving relationship because God gives us everything we have and we also appreciate that the other people around us are children of God and you know as a parent as a mother the thing I hate most is when my kids fight I don't care what they fight over maybe it's a real fight maybe something 
happened between them. Maybe one of them did something to the other. But the fact that they fight, it just creates on my nerves. And it's probably one of the worst experiences that I could have. If one of the children would come to me and say, look, mommy, no, my sibling, my brother, my sister, they ate my candy. Can I have another candy? I would say, yes, take two. Take one because, you know, you had one that was lost and take another one just for the fact that you came to me instead of fighting with your brother or your sister. If we look back at God and say, God, look, this person took something from me. I don't want to fight with them. I want to get it from you. You know what I need. And I feel a sense of loss. Please make up my loss so I don't feel I lost something. God is going to look down at us and say, thank you, my child. Thank you, my child, for not forgetting your priorities. Thank you, my child, for not fighting with your brother or your sister because this is something I hate. Thank you for coming back to me. I'm going to bestow more blessing, more love, more goodness on you than I would have before the loss. So if we can be in this mindfulness of constant connection to God, then we have no reason to fight with other people because nobody can take away something that is yours. And if they do, we can go right back to God and ask for it once again. If we can have this mindfulness and live in this experience, this is what will bring the temple back to us. So what that requires is an experience of tshuva. Tshuva is repentance, but really in Hebrew, tshuva means returning. Returning to our natural place, returning to our natural relationship. The most natural, healthy, loving place for a child is their family, is the parent connection. So we need to return to that experience, to return to that experience of being loved. And I know some people didn't grow up being loved. I know some people grew up in families that were less than functional. And they have not had this healthy, loving experience with their parents. But you can heal that. There are many different ways to heal that, especially today. And if your parents didn't give you that love, Start giving it to yourself. I know it's a lot of work and there's a lot of psychological help that is needed. And some people have traumas, but these traumas can be healed. Work on the healing and ultimately give yourself that love so you can also give it back to God and to other people around us. And on this day, Shabbat Chazon is the day of Tshuva. It's the time of Tshuva, of returning to our best healthiest, most functional, most loving, warmest place. The place of relationship with God, a place on which in which we say, God, I know I have not been perfect. I know I've sinned. I've forgotten about you. I have not been mindful of you. I fought with other people. I've done a lot of wrong things, but I'm returning. I'm returning to relationship with you. This is repentance. Repentance is returning to a place where you see God clearly in your life and you experience him and that experience and awareness permeates your everyday life in your relationship. This is the greatest way to return. And when it happens on Shabbat, Shabbat is time of a family. In Judaism, Shabbat means three meals where family sits together. It's a time when parents and children are together, sing and laugh and play and eat. 
So Shabbat is all about returning and experiencing God in the happiest, purest form. So Shabbat Chazon is the time to experience Shabbat as a time of family with God. I'm at home with God most on Shabbat. I have nowhere to go, nothing to do, nowhere to run. It's God and me, God and my family. We're together and we're experiencing pleasure in this connection. And in the end, the things that give us pleasure are the things we want to do, are the places we want to experience. So on this Shabbat Chazon, I suggest that maybe if you haven't celebrated Shabbat until now, if you haven't marked Shabbat until now, maybe this is an opportunity to experience Shabbat as a time of love, connection, and family time. And you cannot take on the entire Shabbat all at once. It's a big undertaking. But maybe there are little things that you can do to experience Shabbat for the first time as a time of connection and love. And if you do celebrate Shabbat, maybe you can enhance it and make it a more pleasurable time. So for example, if you're new to Shabbat, maybe you can turn off your phone and technology for a few hours, light on Shabbat candles, make Kiddush, and have a family meal. Or if you don't have a family, get together with some friends, just over an experience of connection. Actually, on Tisha B'Av, we're not allowed to eat, we're supposed to fast, but when Tisha B'Av falls out on Shabbat, there is no fasting, no mourning, and it is as if nothing happened. And the best way to mark Tisha B'Av on Shabbat is with connection and love and family, and then we will fast this year on Sunday, although it is the 10th day of Shabbat is pushed off from Shabbat to Sunday. So this coming Shabbat, if you have never celebrated Shabbat, mark this connection with God, this beautiful love between you and Him through a celebration of this connection. Turn off your phone, light Shabbat candles, make Kiddush, and have a fasted meal with your friends or your family. Invite some people over. And if you do celebrate Shabbat already, think of a way to enhance it. Maybe if usually you think about business or you think about work or you feel tense, do something that will make you more calm. Maybe spend more time with your kids. Maybe make less food and find a way to make it more enjoyable. Or just meditate on the fact that this day is a day of connection. Maybe learn a book about the significance of Shabbos. Why Shabbos is so beautiful? What is the significance and the meaning behind it? Maybe go to synagogue if you usually don't. Or maybe just sing smirot, sing songs. Do something to enhance the celebration of Shabbat, to really feel the connection. And it is my blessing and wish to you and me and the whole world that this year Tisha B'Av will stop being a day of mourning and a day of fasting and will turn into a day of celebration that finally, finally, after 2,000 years, will merit to experience this connection with God in our lives and through that merit, the redemption and the rebuilding of the temple so that God can bring his bounty, his blessing, his awareness to all of us and the entire world and redeem the entire world.
It is my blessing that there will be no Tisha B'Av as day of mourning, but only as a day of celebration of our redemption. This was news from the Torah, and I'm Leah Roni. Have an amazing Shabbat, and I will see you next week on the other side. Bye-bye now. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. Just click the orange button at the top of the IsraelNewsTalkRadio.home page, log in as yourself or an anonymous guest, and join in on the fun. You'll meet other listeners from all over the world who listen to Israel News Talk Radio, and you can make new friends. Israel News Talk Radio's chat room. It's the closest you can get to being in the studio with us. We love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel. Plus, little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.